Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I'm excited to have this conversation with my guest today. She is the founder of District 78, Erica Gray. Hey, Erica. Hello, hello. Good early morning. How are you? I am doing well, y'all. We were just laughing at, you know, it ain't super, super early, but your girl here, it's early for me. So... <laughs> We were kicking it around that. So Erica, I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Oh, my labor of love is entrepreneurship and empowerment of the entrepreneur, especially women of color. That is my labor of love. I love it. And I know that we are going to talk deeply about all of those things, but can you start by telling us like where that started for you? How did this passion and labor of love grow? I think for me, it started, you know, kind of young. Most of the entrepreneurs that I knew growing up were all men. And most of the women in my family had very traditional jobs, like teachers, educators, Um, going into the office, doing things that seem very traditional, still great jobs, career, college educated. But as far as seeing women who own their own business, I didn't see that. And I really didn't know it was an option. I didn't know what the word was for then, but I knew that I always had a passion for honing into things that I enjoy, which has always kind of just been like fashion, music, clothing, you know, all those types of things. But as I got out of high school and you're thinking about what do you do next? Like the obvious next step for everybody was to go to college, right? So everybody again in my family's college educated. So that's really like, that's what you're going to do. You're going to go to college, you find a career, something that you can make money in and you get into it. And so once you get to college, you get out of that bubble and you start to see that there's so many people doing things on the side, like making t-shirts or typing papers for people or whatever it is. It's like, oh, so you can You can do other things that are not in this curriculum. So I had an idea at the time to start a a shoe store with a guy that I had knew from college and, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out. And so, you know, I went through the whole corporate America thing, got a job at General Electric, worked there for 18 years, moved up the ranks. Everything was great. Awesome career, you know, everything that you can dream of. Right. And um, as I'm moving up, I just started to be more and more sad. Like it just, it wasn't making me happy. The journey was, was no longer making me happy. So when I got the long story short, I got the opportunity to take a severance pay because our company, you know, had grown so much that they had split from GE to Synchrony and a lot of the top talent, they needed us to take, to step down. And, um, I took the severance and from there I was able to become a full-time entrepreneur. It'll be three years in January. Before that, I was a side hustle entrepreneur Um, So I wasn't taking it all that seriously because I didn't have to. I had a job, you know, I was fine money wise. So, you know, I took the full leap three years ago. And ever since then, it's kind of been like, you know, the thing that I eat, sleep and breathe. Like for me, especially for women, making sure that we have equitable opportunities and that we are thought of 
first and always for me is always key. And so, you know, with my brand, I try to be very front forward and, you know, who I am and how I represent myself as a business owner and just making sure that I'm providing other opportunities for, you know, um, women founders. Mm -hmm. So that was so good. One, thank you for sharing your journey. I don't know that I've ever had a guest so succinctly <laughs> share their journey. I was like, she is hitting off. Okay. All right. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and so many good things in what you said. One, um, it's so interesting. As you were talking, you said everyone in your family is college educated. Like the, na the next natural step was for you to go to college. And I began to think that um, by the time I graduated high school, none of my family was college educated. And yet that was still the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Like no one pauses at like fifth grade and like, mm, I wonder if I should go to sixth. Like, no, sixth comes after fifth, right? Yeah, exactly. College comes after high school. And there was never another option. So I find that interesting that regardless of, um, for many of us, regardless of whether we watched people and know people who went to college and they are shepherding us along their, that same path, or whether like my parents, um, to one high school diploma between the both of them, it was still the next thing, right? So we start to think like, hmm, this message of go to college next is systemic. You know, it's coming through in many ways. And then when you said, like, when you got to college, you noticed people doing entrepreneurial things on the side. And it literally was like, you know what? It is insane to me as an entrepreneur that I've never really thought of the hustle game as entrepreneurship. It yeah. totally is, right? So I'm sure we'll talk about the fact that so many of us are more entrepreneurial than we think we are. Yeah. And this is coming from a person who never wanted to be an entrepreneur yet here I am. But I was like, girl, college, even started in high school. It was funny. I had this one guy I went to high school with, we called him hustle man. If you need it, he was going to sell it to you. Where was he getting it from? I don't know. And I really do think it was legal. Have. You don't worry about it. Nope. It ain't your business. But if you need this thing, like he was going to have it. And so to recognize that the creativity and the perseverance needed in entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is oftentimes embedded in so much of like who we are and how we approach life. So that is awesome. And then you were living the American dream, girl. Yeah. Right. Is we are taught that's the American dream, specifically corporate America. Mm -hmm. Like you go to corporate America and you do your thing. So as a Black woman in corporate America, can you just tell us a little bit about the aspects of, I mean, you were rising high and yet you said the higher you went, the sadder you got. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that I, I seen um, the company I work for. One thing that was really good is we had a lot of Black leadership. So I knew it was a thing. Like I knew it was something that I could achieve. We had great support systems. We had, you know, great diversity networks. So I knew it was something that I could do. And I was like, well, you know what? At this point, the pay is going to be great. I get to travel. Let me just do it. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world by far. Like the company was amazing. It just, the more I moved up, the more that people expected you to move up. So it's like, you know, they had to rule like you're in a job for two years and then you can move up. So as soon as two years hit, they're like, so when are you applying for the next job? And I'm like, I'm not. 
And you're like, well, why not? Like, what are we doing wrong? Like, you're actually not doing anything wrong. I just don't want any more responsibility related to what you have to offer. Mm-hmm. I want to do responsibilities that's related to me and what I want to focus on. And, you know, I think the one thing about being black that, you know, you kind of get called upon a lot to do different things. Like when they need somebody that is a um, well-spoken, well-versed African-American woman, you get relied on a lot for good or for bad. Right. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I put myself in a position to be those and naturally so. So when you're called upon to speak at this or do that or lead this group, you do it, but you start to feel a little like you're checking a box as well. Like, okay, you're a black gay woman we can use you for quite a few things, right? You automatically fit quite a few of these different categories. So it started to feel to me, it, you know, like I wanted to do something more genuine for myself. And just having the experience of corporate America didn't allow me to do that. Like it, your job is to do their job, right? That's what you get paid for. That is your sole responsibility to make sure that you do their job and do it on a high level. And I've always been somebody that prided myself on doing my job at a, high, at a high level. And when I felt that I was getting to the point where I could not do that and I was going through my day very robotic, I was instantly like, I have to find a way to get out. And so I started to plan to leave. And for a whole year, I saved up money, enough money to be fine for a year, everything taken care of. And then, like I said, I got blessed with the opportunity to leave and get paid. So it was like, well, why not? I've already done the work to save up my own money because I was going to quit just say, hey, y'all can't do it no more. But then for them to give me the opportunity to get paid to leave, I was like, oh, I have to do it. But it was definitely with fear. And it it took a lot of urging, you know, from my wife to do it, to have the courage to do it. Because even with them handing me all this opportunity, like here, you can go with this money, this severance, this insurance, these benefits, I still was like, I'm, I'm too afraid. So I was still afraid of doing it because I'm just so used to having that safety net of knowing what you're going to get paid every two weeks, knowing what's going to happen every two weeks. So I was very afraid, but you know, I think my experience as a black person got more difficult the higher I moved up because I felt the pressure of having to be like this perfect kind of black employee that fit into this box that I could be a face for other black employees, but it doesn't allow for a lot of authenticity. And that's where it became a struggle for me. Yeah, thank you for that. And I can say like interfacing and interacting with a lot of people who have transitioned from corporate America, I hear very similar stories, right? There, there, is, there is this tokenism that takes place. And I think sometimes people, when they think tokenism implied, they think like um, unfair pay or, and, and that's not the message I'm getting. I'm getting from people to say, no, I was paid. I was compensated very well. I was yeah. treated well, mm-hmm. you know, I was appreciated and in some ways valued, yeah. but here, here's the thing. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that that leap is, it's a big one. And I think it's worth talking about because I, I would imagine that a lot of people who will listen to this conversation have thought about entrepreneurship, whether they thought about it and went, Mm-mm, that's not for me. I could never, or they thought, oh, I'm interested. Or they like, I I'm pursuing it or they're already in that space. But I was just thinking like, how dope is that? Like, I didn't realize until you shared that, like you were already preparing to leave. Yeah. Um. So I was thinking like, man, that that's really fortuitous. Like that all of a sudden it was like, hey, here it is. But you like, look, I was dipping anyway, which <laughs> I can appreciate then to be rewarded. Like, hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was already. Yeah, you can pay me to do what I was already going to do. But that fear is real. Yeah. I know for me, 
and several other entrepreneurs I know, we're like driven to it by some kind of negative experience, not like the persistent dissatisfaction you spoke of, but I know I had gotten to my last straw at the job that I was working and it just came this abrupt point where I went, "Mm, I cannot, I will not be treated like this anymore. And so that led me to go, I'm done, but I didn't move directly into entrepreneurship. I was still in grad school. So it was one of those things where I was talking with my partner and I'm like, I I just remember calling him after sobbing in a bathroom at work and being like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Can I, and he's like, well, you, you can't be crying in the bathroom every day. So that, that's not an option that we're going to take. So if you feel like you're going to like, let's leave. Um, and I was six months pregnant with the twins. I was in grad school. So, you know, it, it was one very interesting because though I read, uh, wrote a very specific resignation letter telling them why I left the person who was over HR at the time conveniently used my pregnancy as the reason, you know, it's kind of like, you know, so everyone who was approaching me, I'm talking from leadership positions were like, oh, we're going to miss you. It was just the way they were like, oh, you ain't read that letter. Did you? No, yeah, the way we con- the way we're conversing about this means you we don't know, you know what's really happening. What's really going on? And they're like, oh, but we understand, you know, you got the babies coming. I'm like, I worked to 41 weeks with my son. Yeah. Like this, this is not what it is. But yeah. then in school, and then I was prepared to go work for somebody else because that was the only, I feel like, narrative I had really ever been given. You go work for somebody else. And it was exposure to someone who was not working for someone else that showed me like, oh, this is a possibility. I can do the thing I'm passionate about, but I don't have to do it the way someone else is telling me to do that. And so it all led from there. For you, you said you had already been doing like your side hustles. So Mm -hmm. what preparation did those side hustles give you to take that full leap into full-time entrepreneurship? Number one, when I started my side hustle, it really was just out of passion. So initially I had a vintage clothing store and it literally just started out of me. Just, I've loved everything vintage, everything mid-century modern. And it went from me just collecting stuff to putting it on a website, to getting the opportunity to do um, a market that I mean, the market went so well that one of my friends was like, hey, I got this store that you should open. I'm like, I can't open no store. Like I go to work every day in Dayton. I live in Cincinnati and I'm going to Dayton. How do you think I'm going to open the store? And he's like, oh, you can do it. And I'm like, all right, I'll try it because the rent was so cheap. It's like, I mean, it's fine. Like I'll do it. Not a big deal. And I was blessed to find three very wonderful interns at the time who were looking for an opportunity to, they were going to the art school and they were looking for an opportunity to do stuff in retail. And I had no retail experience. So I really didn't care what they did. It's like, as long as the store is open and I can get merchandise in here, y'all not stealing from me, y'all can make it look however you want, because I'm only doing this because it's cheap. It's a passion. And I know that y'all are passionate about it. So my high, my, my side hustle was very ill-prepared, very, very ill-prepared. And from somebody who has a master's degree in business, I knew that was not the right way. And I worked for a, a fortune 500 company that is a billion dollar company. I knew it wasn't the right way, but things that were happening so quick, I'm just like, 
it's $500. Like, I mean, I drink $500 in coffee. So I wasn't worried about the impact at that time. It was just an emotional investment. It was not a business decision. It was an emotional investment. Um, so after three years of having the store, it was very successful. We did great. And then the landlord sold the building and, you know, financially at that point, I knew it was not going to be a good move. So I decided then like, well, I can't, continue with the vintage stuff anymore in the way that I want to right now because I don't have the space and my house cannot become a thrift store. So I'd already started shifting to candles anyway um, because that's like my other passion. Like I love good candles because it's just one of the things like that's my luxury. Like that is one thing that I will spend good money on and I really enjoy how they make me feel. So when it was time, when I got to the point where I was just so sad and I like to be specific about the feeling, like I was sad. Like it was like a sadness. Like I was, I was, I was sad for myself. Like Erica, this is sad for you because you're allowing yourself to continue in something that you don't have to. Like you have the support of your partner to be able to do something different, but you're continuing. And that was a sad feeling. Like I'm continuing to allow myself to do this. And so then I just, she was just like, well, just quit, just quit, quit tomorrow. And I'm like, I can't just quit tomorrow. Like I gotta, do things a different way. So I just kind of put it in motion to be like, well, what do I need to do to be able to quit? And my intention to quit was not to go back to work in a year. Like I want to quit and be able to enjoy and do nothing. Like if I want to sit on the couch for a year, I want to be able to do that. So I was just very intentional about knowing I set a goal for myself. And when that goal came, I actually didn't do it because I was afraid. So I kept going beyond that goal that I set for myself. And then two weeks later, I got the severance package. So it's the one time the fear kind of benefited me um, where if I had done it based on like just the timeline and not listen to the universe and the God, I, I would have lost out on a whole lot of money and other opportunities. So, you know, my side hustle was great, but I was very ill prepared with my side hustle because it, it, like I said, I didn't need the money. It was just like something I enjoyed doing. So I had to switch my mind frame when I actually became a full-time entrepreneur, like, okay, now Erica, it's time to put in place all those things that you know, business-wise that are going to allow you to be successful. So, you know, I kind of, and I tell people all the time, don't quit your job because you hear me say do it because it is not easy. Like it is probably one of the hardest things to do every single day. And I think about getting a job almost every day. <laughs> I'll be honest. Like it comes up every day. Like I could just go get a job, get benefits, insurance, know how much I'm gonna get paid every two weeks and not have to worry about this. So it, it, it was a difficult journey and I was prepared financially, but business-wise, I did not have like the best game plan. I just went with my gut and my gut was like, you got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some wisdom in that, right? So here's the asterisk and the caveat. We might even put it in the show notes. We are not saying go quit your job. I tell people all the time, do not quit your day. Don't do it. Don't do it. Of what I'm saying or anybody else, like it literally has to be your true vision and there's sometimes when it works out, absolutely. I don't mean don't ever quit it, mm -hmm. but just I'm like, oh man, Erica's story sounds so glamorous. She made it sound so sexy. I'm quitting my job. It's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're saying. I can't, I'm not hiring right now, so I can't pay y'all's bills if y'all decide to do it. And there are some, I think, some deep wisdom in that. What I, the thread that is woven throughout so much of what I hear from you is passion, mm -hmm. right? What, what am I passionate about? It's, it's this whole thing we're talking about. It's the labor of love. Um, and there's also, though, I want to pause and really hone in on your ability to recognize that you were feeling sad. It yeah. may seem like a small thing, but trust me, I know that most people know they're feeling something, mm -hmm. but honing in on exactly what they're feeling is a challenge. 
And so how I see this manifest for a lot of people is they are trying to identify what they're feeling and in this feeling, but it oftentimes shows up and manifests as things they're calling something else. One of the main ways that I see it is anger. Mm-hmm. People are sad and they're dissatisfied and it manifests as this ongoing persistent anger that gets shot in multiple directions. Maybe they're mad at themselves. They're mad at the place they are. They're mad at other people because they haven't sat and you just sat with it long enough to go. I'm not really angry. I am sad. And, and one of the things that stuck out in your sadness was it was a self-betrayal that made you sad. Yeah. Not, I'm sad that I have to work here. No, because it sounds like the job was pretty good. It was a great job. It was sad that you were consistently and constantly betraying what you knew to be your truth. Mm-hmm. And I think many of us experience that, but again, we think it's something else. We can call it a whole lot of other things and it manifests in our bodies. You oh, know, yeah. people will start to say, I've been getting headaches lately, you know, heartburn, diarrhea, constipate, all of these body symptoms that the first thing they want to think is what did I eat recently? Or maybe let me go get tested for some intolerances. Like, am I gluten intolerant? Am I dairy intolerant? I'm like, you are um, (laughs) self-intolerant. There are things that are happening that you, you know, you're not listening to. And that, that discovery doesn't mean two week resignation the next day. But what I appreciate about your story is that it wasn't standing on top of the building, looking out into the sunset and then going, I'm doing it. It goes, I'm doing it, but I'm going to save. I'm doing it, but I'm going to do that. So that was so wise. And I really appreciated that. The other was, this is me, I'm pointing at me, but I know I'm not alone. The thought of entrepreneurship was terrifying because I was still stuck in the fact that I thought I had to be perfect. And so when someone said to me, many people said, failure is a part of entrepreneurship. I was like, then I'm not trying to do it because I'm not trying to fail. Like who, who sets out and be like, let's fail at this. And then I learned that engineers do, scientists do. A lot of people set out to fail because their entire, um, their entire worldview is that if I if I can break it and fail it here then I can make it better and know what to do next time that is definitely not where I was coming from so the fear I had above will I make the money and all that stuff was oh my god if I gotta fail then I'm not trying to do it and what I hear about the vintage stores while it was great for a year you could still look at that and say well it it it, it failed but man you made some great relationships you helped inspire the future for three interns. You got to do what you were passionate about. So I had to redefine what, how I viewed failure. And failure doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I did it bad. It's just, it didn't work out for sustainability, but did I learn something? So once you were able to move into like, I'm gonna do this for real with a business plan, what were some of the lessons you took from the vintage store that helped prepare you for that? I think one of the biggest thing was you really have to decide what type of leadership 
you want to have, like what type of, what type of owner, what type of founder you want to be. Right. So there's some people where you, you never know who owns a company. Like you, you just buy the product and it's very impersonal, um, which is fine as well, you know, because there are uh, downfalls in being a personal owner and somebody that is a face of the brand and that people know who you are, know what you look like. But I felt like for me, like my biggest asset is myself. So my candles are amazing. And I will tell that to anybody. I believe that they're the absolute best. But for me, I want people to see my passion. Like at the end of the day, it's about entrepreneurship. Because let's be honest, you can go get a candle anywhere, any, any place, any store, everybody has them. But for me, the difference is I'm selling also what is a part of me. Like I'm selling a story. I'm selling an emotion. I'm selling a memory. I'm so it's, it's everything that you're getting. And so I think for me, that was a biggest shift. Like, do you want to be the type of owner that people see, you know, you can approach you, or do you want to be the type of owner that, Hey, I'll put this product out. I can find a way to market it. People won't know it's me. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just going to be a great product on the shelf, on a website, whatever, and we'll keep it moving. Um, but I didn't want that because I feel like, again, my best thing is, selling the story and selling the experience. And I can't do that if I want to be a hands-off type of owner. Um, and then the other thing was, you got to be real with yourself about your numbers. You can't lie to yourself and think that, oh, because you made $10,000 in a day that you made 10,000. Like, but what did you really make after you look at everything? Did you really make 10,000? And is it really sustainable for you in the lifestyle that you want to live? Like, are you actually going to be able to earn a living and make a living based on your passion? And then also the third thing was being vulnerable enough to know when you need help. Um, because for me, I like to do everything myself because other people just don't get things done. Like they're slow. They don't know what they're doing. And then I feel like I have to coach them too much to get it done. So I'd rather do everything myself. But then I realized that there are people that are trustworthy, are timely, do do these things. And me being willing to pay, like I'm, I will pay for expertise. I do not have a problem with people's prices. I think that I always tell people you should be charging more because people don't understand what goes into getting things done. And you want to live a certain lifestyle. And so do I. So don't you dare tell somebody else that their price is too high, too much, whatever. So I'm a big proponent of it. And that's one thing I had to decide. Like people will come to me and say, $26 is too much for a candle. And I say, well, thank you for your time. It's not for you. Like it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Like I have plenty of people that tell me it's too cheap. They're too cheap. So it's really just being confident in who you are as a leader and as an owner of your company, because people are going to try to pull you in every which way. And social media made it a little harder because you start to see social media envy where you see, oh, well, this candle makers, you know, putting doll babies in hers. And I'm like, Erica, you're not about to do that. Like, why are you even worried about that? Like, that's not even your lane. Like, I mean, you see people doing all kinds of crazy stuff. People are like, why don't you make something to look like Air Force Ones that everybody's doing? I don't want to make a candle that looks like a tennis shoe. Like, if there's people already doing it well, go buy it from them. Like, I don't feel the need to want to jump on every single trend. I need to be a sustainable business for what I want to do. So identifying what type of founder I wanted to be, knowing that I have, you know, vulnerabilities in my skill set. And then also just not having envy of other business owners and being strong and like, here's what I'm good at. And let me stick to kind of my vision. That's a whole word, a whole three words. I loved it all. And um, one, going way back to the beginning, I'm like $500 in coffee. That's a lot of coffee. Okay. 
Erica likes our coffee. Check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's easy. Like Starbucks coffee, happy mm-hmm. hour. I can, I mean, it's literally, you know, eating out however you want to put it. Like you look at your bank account, you'll be like, if I could spend $500 on food, I can spend $500 on myself, on my business and investing. You know what I'm saying? So absolutely. You got the money. That's the thing though. I wonder when those, the, I, I am a big proponent on people being authentic at least once a year in doing two things, not necessarily at the same time, do a money audit and do a time audit. And what that means is take a week and literally track what am I spending my money on? Not just the big purchases. And this is outside of like budgeting, but this is just literally looking at where am I nickel and diamond? You know, am I buying, you know, that, that um, it's like, you know, how the in-game purchases on the little games that you play, the, these little things you're like, it's just a couple of dollars they do add up. And then a time audit. People mm-hmm. like, I go to work, I work this many hours, but what you doing in that downtime, you would be amazed when you actually yeah. do a real audit, like how you spend your money and how you spend your time. Um, the other thing that I really appreciate you were saying um, is what kind of leader and owner you want it to be. And as you were talking, what it made me think of is I am the product. Yeah. I don't yeah. get to separate myself from the product that I have. I, I'm, I'm not just the therapist. I am the therapy, (laughs) you know, I don't just provide the training. I, I am the training. And so being able to think about that, I think was a really big deal. Um, and there was another point you made that I was like, Ooh, that's really good. And it was, um, Oh girl, the envy. Um, it is so, I, I talk about this a lot. And I've also, you know, been very transparent about my journey through 2021 has been about slow down, be still, really, really, really understanding who I am so that I can live life authentically. And one of the things that I realize about myself is um, comparison. It's mm-hmm. so deeply woven into the fabric of how I've seen myself that even if I'm constantly consciously working on it, there are these subconscious ways in which it comes up and social media. It's just like, there are some times when I can be on social media, not even, I'm just, you know, whatever scrolling and looking at a few things, but my littles, these parts of me, they're peeping out all these different things. And it's so amazing. The conversations I'll have with myself, how these parts of me will want to like compare themselves to all this that's going on. You know, I know a lot of amazing people in my industry and I might see one person, they just got a new office and me now I'm excited for them, but there's this little voice in the back, like, dang, they, you know, they doing that, you know, and then I have to pause and be like, okay, I hear you, but Hey, first of all, there's no healing in competition. I mean, there's no competition in healing, like we good or somebody else to be doing something. And me now I'm like excited for them. Like, let's go ahead and share this. I want people to support them. But that little voice is like, but they doing that. And so it is amazing how that'll come up. But what I really love that you talked about is they doing stuff and that's great, but here's who I am. And the biggest conclusion of 2021 for Shonda was I am no longer trying to create services. I had been aligning myself, and this is not bad, but throughout my journey, like you said, recognizing when you need help. 
So mm-hmm. I think there came a point where I realized, okay, there are a lot. Of, I will, I've always said, I don't know, but I don't know. And I'm not ashamed of that. So I was aligning myself to know with people to know things, but how their value set was different than my value set. And so I had a lot of people who were kind of like, okay, so, um, you know, what new services and who can you collaborate with and doing all this stuff. And it just felt disingenuous to who I was. It felt disconnected to my values. When I was like, I don't want to create something new. I just want to be me. I, and, and, and being able to make that decision, I'm not trying to create and be inventive. I, I just want to show up and be me. That is literally my job. Whether I'm showing up in a corporate space, one-on-one with a client, you know, doing a workshop, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be authentically me. The way I show up in the podcast is the way I show up in a session is the way I show up in a training. And once I finally just became okay with that, once I let go of all the notions that I needed to do it different, I've had so much peace. I'm just like, this, this is just what it is. And that's what I heard as you were kind of talking about, look, this is how I do candles. And and I don't have to do it differently. And then finally, um, it's just this idea that like, I learned it's not my prices, it's my market. Yeah. And that my prices are what they are. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they're too high. It just, just because someone can't either afford them or don't see the value in them at the time. So what I heard was my candles cost what they cost (laughs) and that that is what it is and you know the people who value them and there are a lot of people who value them they're gonna buy them if we are constantly switching to the perceptions of other we'll never stay authentic to who we are so I genuinely like appreciate that so now as you're talking about your labor of love of empowering other entrepreneurs particularly uh, entrepreneurs of color and women tell us about what that looks like for you I think for me, it, it, we are always as women, you know, expected to be like, as soon as I say, oh, she's so strong or she's so this, it's like, to me, those things are automatically like in your mind, these unconscious biases are coming out. Like the moment you say, oh, she's a strong black woman or she's a this, like you're unconsciously already assuming that I should be taking on more than what I should. I should be doing more than what I should, you know, I'm doing more than what I'm should. And like, I don't want to, I don't have to be a strong black woman. Like I'm okay. Like, no, you do it. I will pay you to do it. I don't have to bear for everybody else. That's not my job. It's not a badge of honor to be considered. Not for me. Now, some people it is like some, some people they value and I, and that's fine. However you want to identify or look at it. But to me, like, no, I want to be, you know, the type of black woman that lifts other black women up. So if I'm having an event, I'm going to try to make sure that I am lifting other women of color up. Just recently, um, when we did our gift boxes for Paul's, I wanted it to be at least 51% black, black women in the thing. So we were able to achieve that with like literally 80% of everything in the box was from black women. Um, just recently with me doing my short series about debunking the myth of what a small black business is, like I wanted to do that because people, you know, on Saturday, the first thing we do after Thanksgiving is let's go shop for small business Saturday. I'm not a small business. So I don't know if you got a chance to see the clip that I had on my Instagram, but I'm not a small business. So 
you you can label it as small business Saturday, but what we do is big because it's for our family, it's for our communities, it's for the people that look up to us, it's for the people that support us. So, you know, it's become trendy to say small business Saturday because it's catchy. It kind of lets people know you need to shop local. But at the end of the day, most of America's businesses are small businesses. And without us, we, we wouldn't even be able to, you wouldn't be able to do anything. What would you be able to get accomplished if you didn't have these quote unquote small businesses? So being able to, you know, think about this series that I wanted to do, get it started and start to manifest it for me is one step. And then just really like if I'm if I go anywhere and there's a woman that is there selling something and her prices are too low or her labeling could be better, I will say something in a kind way. And I'll even, you know, like, hey, you're not charging enough. You you can't be making a living off of this. And as an entrepreneur and as somebody that cares about us having a legacy and leaving wealth, not having money, but leaving wealth, if you're charging $10 for this candle, I know you're not making money. You're my competition, but at the end of the day, that's okay. But you're literally, you can't be making money unless you're getting the stuff for free, which you're not. And at the small amount that you're buying it, I know that you cannot be making money. I know the bottom line for a lot of the things we're in the same type of business, but commodities are expensive right now. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, and it's, it's just being honest too, like in making myself available, like, Hey, if you got questions, you want to talk, let's talk about it. You know, I, I'll help you where I can. And I also tell you that's not in my wheelhouse, but I'll get somebody that can help you, but I want to be available. And I want to share our stories in a genuine way that doesn't always glamorize, you know, and make it seem like this entrepreneur life is so glamorous because the numbers will tell you 83% of the businesses started last year were by black women. Okay. But what they won't tell you is that 73% of the ones that closed were Black women too. So let's really be honest and real about what's really happening in the ecosystem of entrepreneurship and not just the fact that, oh, we see things opening, but you're not talking about the things that are closing and why they're closing. So for me, I want to be very honest and transparent about what that means when you are an entrepreneur, because it's it's a heavy role. It's a difficult role and it's glamorized a lot. Again, on social media, you see the same five people pulling up in a Bentley, whatever it is, but they're not showing the, the other things. They're not showing the, the, you know, the fact that, you know, you, you are up to your eyeballs in debt and we all took these PPPs and my, some of us is still worse than what we started at because we don't know how to manage money. So just educating, being available and being, you know, kind of like that role model and being transparent. And again, that goes back to me being the type of owner that I want to be and the type of founder that I want to be where <clears throat> I can be vulnerable and tell you that, yeah, like it, it's, it can, it can be difficult, but with the right support system and the right self-awareness for self, you can, you know, you can be successful and you have to speak, like you really have to speak to yourself in a powerful way. Like every day I know I will tell anybody my candles are the best ones. And if you're not buying them, that's on you. Like, Because when it gets to the point where, you know, you can't contact me anymore, not because I don't want to be, but because I'm out being busy and taking care of my community, then you'll have to get them on your shelf. You won't be able to hit me up and say, hey, can I come by the store for another order? Because I won't I won't be available to you like that then. And that's what I that's what I'm planning for, because I have a bigger story to tell. And, you know, I can't you know, I can't do it in this small market. So I need to be able to get out there and tell my story. So and that's what I plan on doing. I love it. And what I really can appreciate is that sometimes I think people think 
if they were to say their labor of love was similar as yours, um, I want to empower this. They sometimes start thinking like, I got to financially support. I have to have a curriculum. I got to No, Sometimes it's just how you support other businesses. I love what you were saying, like being honest with people, your prices are too low. I remember someone was about to do some contract work for me, um, for some marketing and, and website stuff. And when she quoted her price to me, I was like, so here's the deal. Like, I'm not about to pay you that. That is way too low. <laughs> like, and what it was too, is it's like, I'm not going to pay you that. I'm going to, I'm going to pay you this competitive wage, but I also want you to know that like, you are worth it. Like you are really good at what you do. So sometimes the prices are directly correlated to how we see ourselves and, and our, the value we put on ourselves and our work and other people sometimes have this outside vision where they can really start, not just to hype us up, but to genuinely say, you have a good thing here. You have a good service or you have a good product you definitely deserve to be paid for that. So I think that is instrumental. And I think just that that being someone who's gonna be honest with other people, I think there are people who are paralyzed with fear and they need to hear, look, this is possible, right? Nobody's saying it's easy, but we do hard things. But then there are other people who like, mm-hmm, and I'm gonna go out here and, and it's like, well, listen, <laughs> that here, here are the realities of that. And I think having honest people to have those conversations with is a really, really big deal. Also, the part you were saying, paying people, like pay people for their expertise, just like you want to be paid. And for me, I pay for expertise. I pay for convenience. Mm-hmm. There are very few things in the world that I think I can't do. If I, you know, learned in it, but I ain't trying to learn all this stuff. Like I don't, it's I'm not interested. So why am I even going to busy myself with right. not my passion and I don't have time and life is too short and there's too many people that, and I enjoy seeing people in their passion. Like if I know that that's what you're passionate about, I want you to do it. Not just because I want to save me a hundred dollars. Like I want you to do it because it's also helping you be able to live out your dream and if you can do that, like, I think, you know, that's one of the best gifts you can give somebody is to support them in their passion. Absolutely. So two, a couple of things as we close out one, I just want to talk real quick, because both you and I are in partnerships and marriages where both people are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a minute. Cause, um, you know, I, <laughs> it, I think it's interesting, like when, when you have an entrepreneur and they are partnered with someone who has that consistency and are happy in it, right? Not like I'm trying to be an entrepreneur too, and I'm stuck here, but no, a person who says, nope, this is how I work. And I'm working this more traditional job that has more predictability, more consistency. We know that regardless what your business is doing, this is what's coming in from this side, but we don't have that. So what is it like? to be in a marriage where you and your partner are living this entrepreneurship life? I think it is amazing because there is no time that she doesn't understand when I'm up to my ears and I don't understand when she's up to her ears. Like it is a very much easy to be like, I get it. I'll see you when you get home or how can I step in? What do you need me to do? Whether it's bringing you lunch or doing whatever it's, it makes it so much easier for me because we literally, I know like you are up to your ears and, you know, we share very similar kind of like ideologies about how we go about our being in our passion about wanting to be the absolute best, wanting people to have a great 
experience and also being educators. Like, I want you to know what is happening with yourself, with me while I'm doing something. Like, I want you, I want things to be intentional. And we're both very intentional about how we run our business. So I think that it works out really, really well. I think that, you know, the caveat to that is making sure that we're finding time where we don't talk about business because, you know, you may say, all right, it's a date night. We ain't talking nothing about labor and love. But then something's like, oh, you know what? You know what we should do? Or, oh, real quick, we're not mm-hmm. going to go down. Did you remember to do that? And before you know it, mm-hmm. your date night has turned into work. A business and sometimes you have to say time out. Remember why we're here because we don't get to spend time together, right? Remember that part? You're like, yes, okay. But again, we're on the same page with that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't not understand her world and she doesn't not understand my world. So it makes it very easy. And, you know, we're just super supportive of one another. Like, it's, again, I think the only thing is just finding enough time in the day to really sit down and not talk about work or not be, you know, um, constantly thinking of ideas to make things better. But other than that, like, you know, I think it's, probably one of the best things about our relationship is that we're both in entrepreneur life. And so it makes the understanding and the care and the grace that we give each other so much easier to do. And I can honestly say, like, I witness you all support of each other in such a beautiful way. I don't get my hair. I feel like I see you every time I get my hair done. (laughs) It's not true. It's not every time, (laughs) but I can, I can say that at least 50% of the time I'm getting my hair done. I'm going to see Erica because Erica is stopping in to bring food, a smoothie, you know, yeah. and it's like, I already know, like about what time she's going to start getting hangry. So I'm like, let me just take her a smoothie because I already know she ain't going to have time to get away. So let me just do it. And what I love about it is like every time she'd be surprised. Cause it's not like she called in the favor. Like, I love that. And I'm always like, Hey, chances are I'm gonna get to see Erica today. So that's cool. Uh, so I love that. One of the things that, and, and, and there are challenges, like being that, um, again, whatever, the time, the finances and all that stuff, it can be challenging. But one of my favorite things about being married and partnered that my life partner is also someone who understands entrepreneurship is the flexibility that it gives. Because just like you were like, I know around what time, you know, she's going to be getting hangry. He can anticipate my needs as my partner. And he steps in in ways that I can take for granted. Sometimes I try not to take it for granted, but he is just so, um, he's so there when I need or need something. So even in preparation for this podcast, you know, I come in and I ain't got to reach, but right here to get my two right here for my water, all this stuff that if I, you know, I'm just like, let me sit down and do this, forgetting that there are other things. And because he is not tied to a traditional nine to five or whatever, the, the sporadicness of my schedule and needs means he has the flexibility to be able to do that. And yeah. so I, I really love that. And I sometimes think like, man, if he was tied down to something else, you know, I'm able to do what I do in part because of what he does for me. And so Absolutely. sometimes I think people might be like, okay, both of us can't be out here being, I should, yeah, you can. Like <laughs> you, I'll tell you, the only thing I hate is like the benefits. That's the only thing I miss is yeah. like having those corporate America benefits. Besides that, 
you, I, I absolutely love it. And I normally only go into my store for a day and a half out of the week. So during the week, I'm really, really flexible. So it allows me to do, you know, the things that we need to do business-wise and for our nonprofit and be able to do them. And and like you said, your partner kind of knows what you expect, like what you like, the level of excellence that you want. And, you know, those type of things are invaluable and it's hard to teach those things to other people. Um, So having a partner that can do it. And also even... If he has to be like, okay, y'all, this is what Lashonda's likes. He can also be that buffer too, and I like having a buffer because there's di- we're very different. And like, she's a big dreamer where I'm like very Virgo, very like, it, where is the number? Where is the, the the math? Does it make sense? And she is like the creative person, like think a little bit bigger, think a little bit. And I'm like, no, we need to think about this part right here. Let's handle that, and then let's move on. So our, you know, kind of you know, strength and weaknesses fill in the gaps for each other very, very well. Um, and so, you know, I definitely appreciate that part too. And I, I think struggle or not, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, for me, one of the the things is two people get to live their passion. Yeah. Come on. Like there's so happen. many have people, you cannot take it for granted. Cannot. So many people out there who have a passion, have a labor of love, but are not in a space right now where they are able to live it out every day. And so when you have two people who are drawing from fulfillment in their everyday lives, I, that, that, that makes a difference than being partnered with somebody who hates their job, hates right. their life, you know, and all that. That's just a whole different energy in the relationship. So I just wanted to touch on that because I think that is important. Yeah. And we're going to round our conversation out with two separate questions. One, just give us, tell, you've, you've um, talked about it a little bit and alluded to it, but tell us about District 78. And I tell people how your product can be used for their own self-care. And then the second part of that is, and how does Erica take care of herself? How do you keep your labor of love sustainable by taking care of yourself? So District 78, um, you know, and our tagline is it's a mood company. So initially when I developed the candles, like the goal was to make sure that I had a scent that you could settle down with for any type of mood. So I'm having a dinner party, but I'm having something sultry. So I want a candle that sets the mood. So when people walk in, they're like, oh, okay, I see what type of dinner party this is. Or you're cleaning. So you need something to kind of uplift you to kind of it's like, once your house is clean, you like that candle, you know, I'm sitting down for the rest of the day. I got my wine, my remote, whatever it is, we're done. Or it's like, I'm ready to relax. So like, for example, one of my candles is named Frida. And I'm really big on moments and experiences. So when we went to Phoenix for Brittany's 30th birthday, um, we went to the Frida Kahlo Museum and she, you know, is just the type of artist that was very reflective because most of her work was of herself that she painted. So I wanted something that was reflective of the time. So I named the candle Frida. And if you smell it, it smells like outdoors, sunset, smoky margarita. And when I tell people why I made it and why I named it that, they're like, oh, I can exactly feel that and it and it makes them feel something and then also scent is the thing that is most tied to memory so when you smell something the first thing you do is say oh god you know what this smells like and I love those things because it's a part of conversation like somebody smells like oh man this this reminds me of when we used to go to so-and-so or how my grandmother's house smelled or my mom's perfume or my dad's whatever so those moments 
take people somewhere. And so it's more than just like, okay, here's a candle. It's very transactional, not with me. So like everything is very intentional. And that's why initially I didn't put scents on the front of the candles. Cause I knew if I did that, people wouldn't smell it. Like if I put this smells like rose petals and if I hate roses, which I do, I don't like the smell of roses myself. I will skip over that candle. I'm not, I'm not going to smell it because I don't like the smell of roses. So I wanted something that was just a number because then people are forced to smell it. Like what does 78 smell like? Well, smell it. And they're like, oh, that's my favorite one. So I wanted to take a very a different approach because I wanted people to be interactive with it. So outside of the candles, it's really just about moments that create experience. So our interactive candle experiences, they're very intentional. Like they normally are themed like with pairing with a cocktail or pairing with art or pairing with jewelry making like something very intentional. And then, you know, being a co-owner of Paul's, when you come into our store, we've paired three businesses that go to very, go together very well. So my candles and plants and then fresh, fresh juice and crystals and jewelry, those things are all things that make you feel good. So ours is all about stepping into a space, taking everything off of you for a moment and just being able to shop for things that make you feel good. And I think that that ties into how I take care of myself is I surround myself with things and smells and just the senses that make me feel good. So I try not to have people around me that don't make me feel good. Um, things that don't smell good around me, things that don't make me feel good from what I drive to what I wear to what I, whatever, like I wanted to feel good. And for the things that you can control, I'm absolutely going to do that. I can't control the weather, but I can control how I react to it. And part of that is setting the intention within my space and just making sure that I just try to surround myself with things that I enjoy and also giving myself a lot of grace. And, you know, I think recently being more vocal with, you know, not only my partner, but my friends when I'm struggling as an entrepreneur, like today was hard. Not normally, you know, people ask you, oh, how was your day? It was good. But being honest, like, you know what, today actually wasn't good. Like I struggled a lot today. I had a very difficult day and then taking it back. And I caught myself just now. One thing I'm trying to be intentional with is like, I didn't have a bad day. I had a bad moment. The day got better or the day was fine up until this thing happened. So even just now in this conversation, I caught myself saying it because we do, we lump one thing into a bad day. So when I have bad moments, I've been trying to be more vulnerable with that, especially if somebody happened to ask me about what happened, where I can say, you know what, I had a rough patch today, but I moved through it. I allowed myself to feel it and I was okay. I wrote about it or screamed or text somebody and went off and now I'm good. But just being intentional as and as an entrepreneur, you have to be very self-aware of your feelings. You you really, really do. You have to be very intentional about how you treat yourself because it can be very, very lonely and very, very isolated in being an entrepreneur because you do sometimes spend a lot of time by yourself and creating and your passion becomes your moneymaker, which is now a job and not a passion. So also just allowing yourself to have other things that you enjoy doing. Um, and for me, you know, that's music, art and food. So surrounding myself with things that I like is kind of like my my theme and getting rid of things that I don't when I can. I love so much of that. Um, so thank you for sharing about District 78. So much of what you said, I loved, right? We, we um, our brains make up stories and fill in the gaps. So like you said, you see a scent and you like, mm, like that's how Jay is with coconut. 
Mm-hmm. Like he don't like coconut. So if anything is associated with coconut, he will write it off. And it's like, but wait a minute, <laughs> wait, 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 like try this. So I love and an interactive experiences with your candles. That's amazing. We have interactive experiences with a whole bunch of stuff. We just don't think of it that way. Yeah. But when yeah. people are intentional, when you are intentionally creating that, I love that. So mm-hmm. loving that people can simultaneously take care of themselves by using your product is amazing and then what you were talking about about self-care is something I talk about all the time our five senses are the conduit to everything that we know yeah you don't know anything that you didn't see smell taste hear or feel in your skin that's 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 that is a sense of knowing and then once those senses put the data in then our brain does this whole thing of matching it with previous experiences and anticipations for future experiences and and that becomes our reality but you're absolutely right that uh, the the part of our brain that processes smell is the closest to our um, our amygdala, which is <clears throat> our alarm system that lets us know if we're safe or unsafe. So yeah. smell can take you somewhere like nothing else. It can take you somewhere good, it can take you somewhere bad, it can take you somewhere neutral. But think about, you know, if you're at a gas station and you smell gas, well, you're at a gas station. But if you walk into your office and you smell gas, you will probably, you will immediately probably stop walking. Like it's yeah. smell will up seize your body or make you move towards something because where it's processed. And so I love the use of scent and mood. But like you said, <laughs> taking care of surrounding yourself with things that help you feel safe and bring you joy is 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 something I think sometimes people take for granted. Yeah, it's not as go ahead. No, I was just saying it's a, it's a priceless thing. Like we do take it for granted. Yep, and it's not sometimes people when it's like clean up your house, and sometimes it's not about burdening you with other people's expectations. But do you feel safe and comfortable in your space? Can you yeah. look at something and and find it pleasant to look at? Do you have sounds that are around you that can help you feel calm or energize you when you need it? What are the smells around you? And can you can you switch that based on the need that you have? Do you have tactile things that you can touch? Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's you like gritty and rough and you want to rub your hands over something or you like smooth and soft, whatever it is, lighting lighting is a big deal. So thank you for sharing how you take care of yourself. So if someone is listening to this and they like, okay, so first of all, I need to get me a Frida candle, or they're just like, I have questions because I want to be an entrepreneur or just want to get in touch with you. How can they find you? So you can, uh, if you want to shop with us, you have two ways. You can shop with us online at www.bydistrict78. That's the number 78.com. You can find us on social media. That's Facebook and Instagram at at bydistrict78. And if you just want to chat more about entrepreneurship, you can email me at hello at bydistrict78.com. Love it. Erica, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day because time is our biggest commodity as entrepreneurs. So thank you for taking time to come um, and talk with me and share your labor of love with my guests. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You as well. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who does all the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg of Instant Classic Media, and of course, you, my guest. Thank you for listening. I never take it for granted. Uh, Go ahead and hop over and check out my website, y'all. It's updated. I went through a rebrand. So even if you've been to the website before, 
uh, go ahead and go to www.thelaborsoflove.com. If you hit up the website and go to the media section, there is a form now. If you have suggestions for guests or content for the Labors of Love podcast or for Therapy Thursdays, fill it out. It'll come directly to me. Don't forget we're on all the major social media outlets and you can head over to Instagram where we have the Instagram page specifically for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And don't forget to share, review, and like the podcast. Until we connect again, you all be well.